They're just so special, aren't they? Or nice to see them out and about. Or my niece has one of those. Down syndrome is one of the most recognisable disabilities. There is no doubting that these children are different because their physical features say so. But there seems to be an unspoken rule that says people are allowed to comment on that difference. In your presence, using loud voices, in the supermarket, at the bus stop. There have been many times I could have commented on what people have said. Special? No, not really. They have tantrums and tummy aches, meltdowns and magical moments, toys and toilet training like any other kid. Mum, why is that person staring at me? Richard had asked me many times. Depending on my mood, the response could be, because you are so beautiful, or because they're so bloody rude. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Welcome back to the Good Reading Podcast. I'm Emma Harvey. On today's episode, we are so pleased to be joined by publisher and mental health counsellor Bernadette Aegis. Bernadette's debut book, I'm Staying at Richard's, Raising the Exceptional Son I Never Expected, is a moving, enlightening and joyful memoir about raising a son with Down syndrome. Bernadette, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Emma. Like many young women with ambitious career plans, you hadn't exactly factored a child into your life before you fell pregnant. Can you describe what your life was like before Richard came along? Oh, thank you. Um, my life was pretty peachy, actually. I had a very nice house in the Upper North Shore of Sydney. I had a fantastic career working at the ABC, which I just loved. I was um, the book buyer for ABC shops. Um, that was very rewarding and, uh, sorry, assistant book buyer. And I had a pretty good life, great friends, amazing family, very satisfied and fulfilled. So I was very surprised when I actually did get pregnant because I had planned on a very long career within the ABC and doing um, good things, I guess, which is why I loved working there. Right, yeah. And so your book goes into that. It describes those first few weeks when you found out that you were pregnant and then also when you had baby Richard. Um, And not only were you grappling with the usual struggles of being a new mum, you were also dealing with the news that your child had Down syndrome. I'm wondering if you could share how you felt during that time. Oh, it was kind of, you know, as soon as the baby popped out, I went, oh, because I felt so fabulous that I did this all on my own. And like, oh, yeah, I can do this. This is great. And, you know, I don't know why people complain about childbirth. It wasn't that hard. <laughs> Terribly arrogant of me. Um, and so it was. I went from the most joyful, absolute elated, God is good, the world is beautiful, I have this amazing child, to the most soul-destroying, overwhelming, oh, I'm going to cry even now, overwhelming disappointment and sadness I get because of the unknown and the expectations I had for Richard. I expected he would be, you know, (laughs) the Chris Hemsworth or, you know, David Attenborough or something really remarkable in his life and I'd be that kid's mother. Um, And I was fearful. I was fearful for all of us, for his dad, for me, for him, because we had no idea what 
life was going to be. Um, this was, you know, 28 years ago now, and disability was quite a different world. We are very lucky that, you know, the world has changed in how they see that. But then it was difficult in that people just, you know, people were still putting young babies in institutions. I was actually asked by someone, are you putting him in an institution? And that is like, wow, wow, who does that? But that was an expectation and sometimes a given. So, yeah, I was pretty, it was pretty awful. Yeah. <laughs> and you, as you say, it was 28 years ago. So um, you and your husband did a little bit of research about Down syndrome. And while many of us know of Down syndrome um, and maybe think that we know enough about it, there still remains quite a bit of misunderstanding and maybe general lack of awareness about what that really means. So I'm wondering for our listeners if in simple terms you might be able to define that for Thank, us. Yeah, because um, I, I didn't know a huge amount other than um, we did have a family friend who had a daughter with uh, Down syndrome and this little girl would terrorise me. So <laughs> she was just nonverbal, she was um, aggressive, but that was, of course, her frustration not being able to speak. So and this was, this was when you were growing up. This right? when I was when growing up, yeah. yeah. So I was, you know, I was still a little girl and we were about eight or ten and mm. she was a little girl. And uh, But she used to really make me laugh. So I kind of always assumed that, you know, people with Down syndrome had a sense of humour. I don't know why sure. I always yeah. assume that. Again, <laughs> another assumption. Mm. So, look, what defines a person with Down syndrome? You know, physically they, of course, look different. And that can be a blessing and a, a, a dreadful burden because people just stare. So physically, you know, they're shorter, squattier. Um, their eyes are a different shape. Their facial ex- face is quite different. They look there's a similarity between all people with Down syndrome. Um, there's creases in the back of their neck. Their limbs are often shorter. And this is a generalisation, of course, because mm. there's always exceptions to the rule. Um, intellectually, they can go from uh, a moderate type of disability to a severe type of intellectual disability. And again, it's like the rest of the population, there are scales. You know, some of us are brilliant, some of us not so smart. Mm. Um, and I probably could go into one of those categories. <laughs> we went to the scale, yeah. <laughs> Um, they have also capacity for being athletic and also not. So there's a, the scope is enormous, but there is several characteristics that they all do carry. That's why their chromosomes, you know, carry that extra gene. Um, and so for a lot of people with Down syndrome, their hearing isn't, you know, their little eustachian tubes block up pretty quickly. Their tongues are much bigger. Um, uh, their... Um, body mass is what they call, um, oh, you know, gross motor skills. Their muscle tone isn't so great. Mm. So there's a, you know, they're often factors in which you can work at and make a difference to those things. Um, and the same with intellectually. Intellectually, people with Down syndrome will learn eventually, but it will take some time and it takes a lot of work. And that's the hard bit, I guess, too. It's just like it's a constant, like, here is another little sultana you need to pick up with your little finger. Right. <laughs> Those are some, yeah, those are some really interesting scenes in the book because you describe you and your partner as, you know, becoming drill sergeants almost. Oh, I was appalling. (laughs) That poor kid. (laughs) Well, I mean, raising a child with a disability, it does take incredible dedication and persistence and emotional strength as well. And you were just trying to keep up with the recommended exercises and the classes and trying to give Richard the best chance at life. Mm. Um, mm. How do you remember that time in your life? <laughs> oh, look, I must admit, I was a bit manic. I was sure. just a bit batshit crazy, really. <laughs> 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 I, 
and and Richard's dad wasn't. He was much calmer than I was because I'm I'm you know I guess if I had to categorize myself a high achiever and mm. expected Richard to be the same. Um, and so if he wasn't going to be the smartest normal kid, he was going to be the smartest Down syndrome kid. Sure. So I became <laughs> obsessive, you know, mad mother who every moment we had to do something, I would do it. Whereas his dad was really like, just chill out, you know, mm. <laughs> he'll be fine. And I'm going, no, he won't be. He's going to, you know, be a real dunson. <laughs> well, that's probably good. You yeah. need both extremes. Yeah, it was a good yin and yang. Yeah. Um, mm. So, but it did cause me a lot of problems then because I became so obsessed that I ended up having terrible anxiety attacks mm. and just overwhelmed myself with expectation, sure. which I think is a bit of a disaster really for a lot of new parents because you want to achieve those milestones the same as other kids. Um, but then you forget that they're actually still a little person, that you're still a parent, you're still a family and there's a lot of fun to be had. And I think my kind of light bulb moment was to go, oh, okay, I need to really chill out here because I'm going to drive not only him crazy but me crazy and everyone else around me crazy. But it was – you want to achieve those milestones and you want to make sure that everything works for him down the track because what, ha- what you do when they're little has huge ramifications mm. as an adult. So, for instance, and Richard won't mind me saying this, you know, he still can't um, – do up a button properly because we really just kind of gave up on the button doing (laughs) but we talked a lot so we were a family of talkers so Richard now talks so much (laughs) he never stops talking that's such a great part of the book where you were you were praying and you know I'm hoping that Richard would grow up to be able to talk yeah and then you say later that there's a kind of bitter irony almost to all of that because he's such a chatty guy (laughs) he never stops talking (laughs) he rings me three times a day like just leave me alone stop talking to me he goes mum mum I'm your only son actually I'm your favorite son (laughs) you got your wish yeah I got my wish indeed so yeah it was filled with um a lot of homework and you know we had to do Mm. a lot of stuff um so it, it is difficult and I had one child you know, whereas a lot of families have more than one. So I could, we could give Richard all, mm. our all, um, but it does take a lot of work. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, you also mentioned that you put on an I'm fine kind of face mm. for a long time, uh, which you later say you would not recommend to other parents. <laughs> uh, what would be your advice to other parents, maybe in similar circumstances? Oh, look, I think it's important to just be truthful that it's, you know, I think we feel that because we say this is really hard this is really sad, this is really difficult. It's actually a reflection on your love for that child. But it's not. Mm. You know, you still love your child regardless. I loved my baby and I adore him now and he's a great person. But I was struggling and I made the terrible mistake of not letting people help me where I just wanted to put a brave face on everything. Um, And I got myself into some terrible mental health issues because I just wasn't being real. I wasn't telling my sisters how difficult it was. I wasn't telling even my husband how difficult it was because I didn't want my love for him to ever be in doubt. Mm. Um, But in actual fact, I think what I did was to then get into such a state where I couldn't be the mother I really wanted to be because I was always so fearful that something bad was going to happen or that I was a bad mother or that my expectation you know I wasn't the maternal type anyway so 
I can see this picture could actually hold a remote control I gave it to him <laughs> and told him how to use it. Because <laughs> Barney, the pink dinosaur, the purple dinosaur, was better at doing mm. entertainment than I was. Um, but, I, yeah, I think my, my message would be just be yourself and it's okay to say it's not that great sometimes. And, mm. and other mums do too, regardless of whether you have a kid with a disability or not. Parenting is hard. Yeah. It's really hard, um, especially if it doesn't come naturally to you. And well, yeah, you you mentioned the television, which is another great moment in the book um, where Richard grows up to really love the TV and love his video games, Mm. but it's also sort of doubles as a as a tool of learning. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Language. Yeah, I'm sure half his speech came from, you know, just watching and mimicking. Um, And yeah, it was a great babysitter, I have to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to beat around the bush on that one. (laughs) Well, the the book is full of those kinds of funny sometimes frustrating, heartwarming memories. I wonder if you could share with our listeners any of your, which I know is a tough question, your fondest memories from when Richard was really young. Oh, there are a couple, actually. Yeah, a few, yeah. <laughs> because we underestimate, because people, you know, if, if the child isn't verbal, and, and this is regardless of anything, that you think that they don't have that cognitive capacity to do things. So several things that made me really happy about Richard, you know, that I thought, oh, my God, he's not that stupid. He's actually Mm. (laughs) – so it was um, Christmas Eve and I have a very, very big Maltese family and we have big present giving. And so I had Richard with the remote control at watching television with our faithful hound next to him, Comet, and I left them there and I think Richard might have been three or four at the time. And the tree was beautifully sorted and just gifts everywhere, beautiful gifts all wrapped because I had the family coming to me for that year. And I um, I went outside and I just felt something wasn't quite right. I was doing some gardening or getting something together. And I walked back inside and he had unwrapped every single present under the oh tree. Oh, my God. It looked like... <laughs> World War Three in there. There were bits of paper over him, over the dog, and he was sitting there holding this toy that clearly he knew was for him. And he looked at me like, "Oh my god!" Red-handed. And he looked at me and he pointed the dog and he said, <laughs> "He did it." <laughs> oh my god! So that I was thought, oh, and I was so angry. But then I thought, oh god, he can lie. Isn't that good? Oh, <laughs> skills that says I'm not going to go down for this one the dog is what a conflicting moment I know that was so funny and those things made me laugh about Mm. him and he he also has the sweetest kindest nature where he would know when people weren't comfortable with him he that also taught me a great lesson that I my expectation of everyone wanting to accept Richard as he was was not everybody else's desire and I had Mm. a very very good friend who came over once um, very clearly very uncomfortable and very uncomfortable with Richard. And he just went over to where her handbag was and took it to her and said goodbye. And it was I just knew then that he he had that capacity to understand emotion and understand feeling and understand goodness. And that mm. was the beautiful side of growing up, you know, watching him grow to watching him emotionally develop. Yeah, and oh, I wanted people to see that. You yeah, know, that it's it's. It, I think I talk about, and, and you may have something there. I don't want to mm. preempt you, but you know about what is your normal. You know, sure, yeah. and this is our normal. Our normal is this life. Mm. I don't have. Um, I don't know what it's like to have your life or to have your listeners' life. You know, this is our life. So this is our normal. Yeah. Um, and people are judging that, and I think we judge too much about other people's lives. 
it's, you know, I'm really happy with my life. Richard's really happy with his life. We have a, a great time. Um, and I know a lot of parents and families who've got kids with Down syndrome. That's their normal. Mm. That's, and, and it's good. It's their life, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, as you read in the extract earlier, um, in the chapter Slings and Arrows, you acknowledge that a lot of people's reactions and intrusions, while they may come from a place of curiosity, there's a level of basic respect and etiquette that simply isn't extended to yeah. people with disability sometimes. Yeah. Um, so rather than gawking or, or whispering loudly in supermarkets, <laughs> <laughs> if people do have questions about disabilities and disorders, what do you propose is the best way that they could go about that? Yeah, that's a good or, question, actually. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I have no... I, I think if people are curious, it's a good thing. Mm. Um, as long as it's respectful. You know, and I think I've had people come up and say, oh, I think you're so, you know, brave for having a child. <laughs> I don't think anyone's brave for having a child. Like, really? <laughs> it's a big responsibility. Um, because I think it's, the un- it's what you said before about the unknown. Um, and I think that's really important. But for me, if someone came up and said, what's your life like? I'd, go, I'd tell them truthfully mm. what it's like. And I'm happy for people to ask about Richard as long as it's always respectful. Sure. Yeah. And that it's not – and for anyone with an intellectual disability, for I think sometimes that, you know, people will talk to me and not talk to Richard. Mm. I think that's really – I really don't like that. They'll say, oh, can you please tell him? Mm. Oh, no, you tell him. He's standing yeah, he's here right, right next to me. Yeah. You tell him. <laughs> oh, and they look at me like, please, please help me. And I go, mm. no, you ask because you're asking about him because I wouldn't – you know, be there with you and your partner, for instance, and say, oh, what do you think Emma thinks of this? Mm. I would ask Emma. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a really important part of how I would deal with that. Right. Ask the person. And I think, I mean, you say actually in your book that even if you don't want to be, sometimes parents kind of have to become inadvertent advocates for disability. Um, So, you know, maybe if you didn't always want to have to bear the burden of answering everybody's questions about every little curiosity they had... Are there any other like resources you'd recommend or, or books? Oh yeah, there's websites? lots. Of, yeah. And there, you know, a lot of the websites are really good now. Um, Down syndrome Australia, Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, all the states have their own uh, websites, and they're very good. They're full of information. They're full of you know good facts. There are people at the end of the phone that will always pick up, especially for people like teachers who have a little person starting at their school, there's lots of resources out there that they can get as much information from that people can go and, you know, access. Um, There's a lot of, of course, like anything on, you know, on any website, there's some misinformation. Mm. (laughs) But um, I just go straight to that source, you know, and speak to people. And often, you know, people will come to you. So each of the associations have um, parent support and they're really happy to help people oh, with um, any any questions because we don't want it's not a secret yeah yeah <laughs> it's not like oh you know we're in the cult it's like you know we we want our kids out there and having a great life mm. and being well educated and being, being yeah, yeah and inclusion inclusion is really big well that does bring me on to my next question which is that Richard yeah. attended Mount Karinga yeah Mount Karinga primary school primary school yeah so uh, it was an integrated school and I guess my next question is, why do you think that's important to include students with disabilities in regular educational settings for students with disability and also for other students? No, it's good. It's good. It's, it's important. And I, and I think, and I, 
have thought about this for a long time. Um, and, and there will be people that disagree with me. So, mm. it, And it's a, a thing within, I guess, any organisation or any community. We all have different opinions. I was really determined, as, as was Richard's dad, to integrate Richard and, and include him as much as possible in those early years because we felt that we didn't want his life to be about being disabled. We wanted his life to be about being Richard and being a kid. Mm. And we wanted to also be included in a community of that. Having a child with an intellectual disability at a mainstream school opened up the eyes of all those other people. And they kind of went, oh, okay, this isn't scary. This, these parents aren't widows. These, you know, <laughs> there's, you know, this is perfectly all right. And they, we were very lucky that the community was so um, accepting and loving in many ways. There were clearly some issues, as there always are, um, uh, but I think the most important thing was that Richard learnt good behaviour or what is acceptable behaviour from other children. And other children um, took it upon themselves to help him achieve that by including him, as did the school community. Now, I'm going to go back and say that's not necessarily um, going to happen for most you know, it's not a given that a child will learn or a child will give in a community will be given those um instructs but we were lucky but it was also i think the most important part for all of us all of us in that time and in that place was it didn't scare people mm. it, there was an acceptance he was a very sweet little boy he has a good kind heart and that was really important for all those other families to see and they championed him you know they all did and the kids at the school his classmates these little boys and girls were just so they didn't see his disability mm. they just saw that he needed some help yeah, and that was great. you know and kids are great kids yeah. are fantastic they just go oh yeah we're just going to do this and look and as they got older you know like any any cohort you know even if we're you know like if you're a popular kid at school you're not going to hang out with the dags you know, or your perceived tags. Um, mm. It's just how it is. Or if you're in a, you know, a, a high-achieving class, you're not going to associate with kids that don't achieve as high as you do. As Richard got older and then when it came to the question of high school and you were debating that as parents and considering what would be best for him, you write that Richard came to you and helped you make that decision by simply saying, I want to go to St Edmunds, which is a school for... Um, it's a smaller school that caters to students with mild to moderate intellectual disabilities. And he said that he simply didn't want to come last yeah. any longer. Yeah. And you said that that was it for you. Mm. So how did Richard's experiences at St Edmunds compare to the state school? Oh, very, they, they were two different things. So mm. um, I think what we wanted to achieve at Mount Karingarth, what we all did, and his teachers, you know, was just to give him basic good reading, writing, learning, you know, um, a good school environment, but also to socialise, to socialise in the real world. And it's not that we didn't want him to socialise with other kids that had an intellectual disability. That wasn't it at all. We wanted him to know, we wanted it to be about inclusion in the world. Yeah. Because mm. you're not, your life isn't always going to be sheltered. And we wanted him to have those highs and lows. Um, but he was getting, clearly for him, far too many lows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because he's, he's a little bit um, competitive as well, I found out. Which, you know, yeah, another thing, go. I never, you know, these expectations. I yeah. didn't expect him to have a competitive streak, but he's really competitive. Um, and so when he said, when he realised that he would be with people that were his intellectual equals, that's when he said, 
I wanted to go to St Edmunds. What St Edmunds did, although he still did good learning and actually they were terrific as far as the academic side of things was concerned, was he had a social group of people that he could start going out with. Mm, and great. although the kids at Mount Karingai were just beautiful, they were growing up and mm. they you know, didn't want to hang around people that weren't in their same cohort. And I understand that. I don't mm. have any intellectually disabled friends. Mm. You know, It's just how it is. Um, so when he got to St Edmunds, he suddenly had friends that were his age, he, his same interests, you know, and that he could relate to. And I think that was the really important thing for him. And it, he really did go from strength to strength at that school, which was great. Yeah, and we hear from Richard a few times in the book. You get him to talk about or write about his experiences at different stages in his life, particularly at St Edmunds where he excelled. He was the deputy he school was the captain. Deputy school captain. Thank you very, very much, nice. Mother's God and Joy. <laughs> um, and yeah, as you said, you guys were really lucky and you had um, a really good experience. And Richard had quite a good experience during school. And you acknowledge that that's not necessarily always the yeah. case. And there's some statistics, for example like the one about um, bullying, that 51% of students with disabilities are victims of bullying compared to a 23% yeah. um, in non-disabled students. And a lot's improved in mm. recent mm. decades, yep. but there's still lots of progress to be made. So I guess my question is, what do you think can and should still be done to support young people with disabilities in our schools? And look, statistics always change, don't they? You know, mm. daily, you know, it's like a budget. It always changes. <laughs> Um, I, I, I think it's very hard for people to see beyond the intellectual disability that people do get hurt and that they have needs and wants. Um, and where do you put your most expectation, I guess, as a teacher or as other students? So there's a lot of classes that have, um, I don't want to use the word segregated, but you know, specific special needs classes. And they're on campus, but they're often separate on their own. I guess what I would like to see, which I think probably would work better, is to have complete inclusion. So children with intellectual disabilities in the mainstream class because then they're not a cohort on their own. Mm. They're part of the school community rather than part of those kids who have got intellectual disabilities. Look, it is hard because some kids' behaviours aren't great and it is distracting and those other children are there to learn. Um, I think educators need to come up with a solution where they are the voice of reason so that the teacher, the principal, the culture starts from the top. Mm. This is what our school represents. This is how we do this and this is how we all do this together. And once we start getting to that point, I think things will change. And it's not hard. It's just someone being brave enough to not be scared to say, okay, we're putting Johnny into class A, we're putting Samantha into class B, we're putting and integrate them that way. And look, mm. and that might be difficult to start with, but it eventually will become the, the norm. norm. Mm. It's just taking the steps. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. To go then to the end of school when Richard was graduating, you helped, is that correct, secure some funding for a transition to work program yeah. at St Edmunds? Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, it was after he finished. After he it, finished. After he finished at St Edmunds, yes. Yeah. So it was with um, Catholic Care up in the Broken Bay Diocese mm -hmm. and they were just so fantastically supportive. I said, look, you know, we need to do something. These kids are leaving high school. There's some other things, but they're not what I want. Yeah. <laughs> I would really like you to do this. Well, and yeah, what were the, what were the well, um, employment 
opportunities available. Very little. And, and, yeah. and still, that, that actually is getting harder. You know, that, that's something we need to work on. Mm. Um, but there were some places that what we call community participation where kids could go there for day programs and not really with a view to go to work. Or there were some places that would have the kid for one day. And this was all about funding um, to get them ready to go to into a work environment and find them some work. But I wanted something that was like I didn't want Richard at home. Basically, that was the bottom line. <laughs> I didn't want him sitting on his ass watching television, although he could re- use that remote control really well. I wanted him to be engaged five days a week. Mm. And so the program, therefore, was about getting young people with an intellectual disability ready for work. And St Edmunds put in a program of doing um, work experience in some places, which worked really well, and they were fantastic, and got the kids. And also Richard went to TAFE. So he did, um, uh, one year he did office administration, one year he did cafe work, so it was great. But when he left school, it was then another transition. And so that program, the Transition to Work program, was to get them ready for to go to work properly, not a, you know, a one hour per week internship type thing. Mm. It was a proper job. Yeah. This is getting ready for a proper job. And a lot of those girl, those young men and women got great jobs out of it, which was terrific. Yeah, and as you say, um, you know, Richard wanted to work. He wanted oh, to do yeah. just what everyone else was doing and he saw the value in it. Mm. Um, and, you know, I wonder, can you tell us a little bit about his journey into the workforce oh, okay. over the years? <laughs> He was very actually. I love telling this story of a friend of mine who had a, a, a sister with Down syndrome, and she one day just packed it all in. And they said, "Why have you left work?" And she went, "Oh, I'm just I'm bored with it. I don't want to do it anymore." <laughs> but she kept going back every week to get her wage. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> that was funny. Nice. So we kind of went, oh, "Okay, how are we going to deal with this?" Um, but Richard, um, when he got a job, it was like this biggest light went on in his whole being he it gave him a sense of purpose actually he had that when he started the transition to work program it was like going to college I guess but when he got this job on his own through his work experience it was like he had won the lottery he walked taller he became more manly I guess he became more adult and he became more responsible I can do that mum I can do that don't worry I can do that I have a job now and it was really wonderful to see his pride in himself. And isn't that what we, you know, when any of us get a new job or, you know, get something, we're very pleased with ourselves. And he was. He was mm. just really happy. And, and what kind of work has he done? Well, he got this great job at a pub. So um, he did his work experience at the pub. Mm. And they offered him a permanent part-time job five days a week. He now does four hours, five hours a day. Um, because he still gets tired, you know, he still... As you know, with that muscle tone thing, he still has to do a lot of work on that. Um, but they offered him the job, so he picks up the glasses. He, so he, and they've been terrific in that they um, uh, give him a variety of jobs. We're supported by a company called Job Support, which is based in Chatswood, and actually they're based all over Australia, I think now, and they help the organisations. Um, on a, on a monthly basis to make sure that the person that works for them is doing, you know, what they're meant to do and that they're getting supported in the workplace. And although Richard's been there a long time now and we don't really need job support as much, but they certainly have been instrumental in making sure that the wage is fair and, look, and I never had any problem with Richard's job placement being like that. But for some organisations, they just need some structure. So, you know, I, I think that's where I'm getting to with this conversation is that 
people can take a bit of a, a plunge into employing someone with an intellectual disability because there's actually good support out there. And the, and the difference in that person's life that has the job is amazing. You know, Richard can catch the train all over Sydney. He's independent. He thinks Uber's the best thing in the world. <laughs> I'm just going to Uber that mum. <laughs> which also makes me think I don't have to go and pick him up at midnight when he goes out somewhere. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, so, you know... His sense of confidence, and I think anyone with an intellectual disability that has a job gives them that confidence. I have a job. I have a job. And isn't that what we all want? I have a job. Yeah. And not only a job, he's got a girlfriend. He has got a girlfriend. (laughs) Which the book also covers. It covers the topic of love and relationships. Yeah, he and Ashley have been together for a while now. Wow, yeah. yeah. And why did you think that was important to also include in this story? Look, and I'm denied about this because it is, you know, encroaching on people's personal space and it's you know my story not Ashley or her family's story but I thought it was important because again I don't think people understand or respect the desire to be loved and to love I mean again like a job you know relationships are human you know it's so important to you know have be hugged and to be looked after and to have that you know caring person in your life and so Richard and Ashley went to school together and they um Uh, had always been friends and then they started a relationship and then after I think five years of being together they decided to move in together and it has look it hasn't been easy there's been some (laughs) but they are a great couple and they I just love you know they argue the same as other couples they love like other couples they have a nice domestic time together they look out for each other you know occasionally Ashley will tell me off for being a mean mum which I think is fabulous but that's great. Yeah. You know, how good is that? And he, he'll say things like, oh, mum, you know, uh, I just really love her. Oh. And I think, oh, my God, how good is that? And how, it's, yeah. How good? <laughs> how completely just like everybody else. Like everybody else. Yeah. And that, isn't that, you know, isn't that a gift? That's what's stri- so striking about the book is just how much of Richard's life is just like everyone else's. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons people should read it. Is Thank you. For people to realise that. Um, and Richard's 28 now. Yep. So how's he doing? <laughs> he's, he's amazing. <laughs> he's fantastic. He's the funniest person. Well, right now we are steeped in rugby league season. So he just – and look, the other thing that I think is really important is he is a bloke. Like he is mm. male and he is, you know – male in the way that all us women go oh god that's disgusting or you know he's so sweet but he also you know he it's rugby league time so he just talks football all the time he works in a pub he does sport he will sometimes be very rude to Ashley and because he just you know <laughs> gosh shut up Ash I'm watching the football <laughs> like you know you go really <laughs> how did I raise this child but he is amazing he works in a fantastic environment with amazing people beautiful men and women who really have his back um they tease him they you know I walked in there the other day and he and one of the chefs were having a great old laugh about something and that just it just warms my heart he's got a great relationship he has a good social life he has lovely friends he has family that adore him um you know he's got his dad and his stepmom and his stepbrothers who are just lovely people and we all have you know one thing in common is that we want to make sure he has a good life and he clearly does. And he really does. And he, and he knows it. You know, I got a voice message on my phone the other day going, Mum, I just wanted to say we had a great day today and I love you. Oh. And that was, you know, what, what more do you want in life? Yeah. So he's a blokey bloke, but he's also... Oh, he's Mum's little boy. Mum's boy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can wrap Mum around his little finger with that. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, sure, honey, you can do that. <laughs> and has he read the book? He did. And I was actually really surprised. It, oh, there you go. I, and, 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 you know, for all my, you know, soapbox standing, I actually didn't think he would want to. And he, I sort of went there the other day, said, so when can I read it? I went, oh, 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 okay, you can read it now. And handed him over, you know, very reluctantly a copy because I thought, oh, my goodness, I never thought. You know, I, I, he was excited about the book being written. He knew it was being written. He understood all that stuff. But then he read it and I was really shocked and delighted. There was, I said to him, I said, oh, should we read it together? He said, oh, no, I'm okay. And he read it and loved it. So I was really pleased. He asked a few questions, you mm-hmm. know. He was upset about one or two things. Um, mm-hmm. Couple of corrections. A couple of corrections, mm-hmm. um, and the rest of it he really enjoyed. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, and I'm and I'm glad he was able to tell me what he wasn't happy with. Yeah. You know that he he knew that there was um, some things there that he could be uncomfortable for him, and I'm glad that he raised those and we mm. and we talked about them, and he was fine with it. Yeah, and yeah. I I guess that is tricky to be writing a book about yourself your life Richard's Mm. life family um and you said that when you committed to writing the book um only later did it occur to you that this was actually going to be kind of tough oh yeah I kind of went oh (laughs) yeah when someone said oh you know would you like to write the book yeah sure can't be that hard Mm -hmm. (gasps) oh my giddy aunt I like (laughs) now I'm you know after I think we've been in the process of writing for two you know like it took me a while to get it all together it's very confronting Mm. And it was cathartic and it was sad and it was humbling and it was joyful and I feel very exposed. Um, but I don't regret it. I well, yeah, of, I tell I you think... it's worth it <laughs> because it's an excellent read and totally compelling, like beyond all of the, the content and, um, and the research and um, the themes, just the writing. Oh, thank really you. I had, I had well. a lot of help. <laughs> I'm I sure. Help. From Richard. <laughs> yeah, from Richard, yes. <laughs> He's in there. And so the note that I wanted to end on was if you could go back to yourself in that hospital hearing that your son has Down syndrome for the first time, what might you tell that young mum? Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Who am I? Sorry. <laughs> no, it's actually it's a really good question. Um... Look, I probably would have said chill out. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be okay and he is okay. And, and don't be frightened. Don't be frightened to speak. Don't be frightened of your voice. And don't be frightened to take on challenges. And appreciate what you have. You know, our little people with Down syndrome are just as worthy and deserving to be here. Oh, <laughs> sorry. As many others. And I think it's a real shame that people don't celebrate that. So my, you know, one of the best things my family did came in with balloons and champagne and went, yay, we've got a baby. And that's the blessing. And so that's what I would have said to myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Oh, oh well, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, On no, that no, note. <laughs> on that note. Emma, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. I'm Staying With Richard is available at all good bookstores. Oh, hopefully, yes. And on the Good Reading website, www.goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Bernadette, thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you so much, Emma. It's been a joy. Thank you. (laughs) 